Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jonathan Harvey, and I welcome you to the Modern Conservative Podcast. Uh, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. I want to say, guys, I appreciate you going to the website. I appreciate you purchasing and getting involved and entering the uh, giveaway. We actually will be giving away the uh, prize this coming week and announcing who the winner is. Um, and for you guys who have not visited the website, it's the Modern Conservative Podcast.com, the Modern Conservative Podcast.com. God, I can't even talk today. Um, you can look us up on Facebook as well. Good luck with that. Because as you know, I'm heavily shadow banned. And for those listeners that are normally listen to the show on Podbean, these shows will be ripped and put on Podbean so you can listen to it on the go. So that's coming soon. As a matter of fact, Mike's going to get that taken care of this week, right, Mike? Done. <laughs> so, so it's coming soon. But so stay tuned. Podbean, I will be back. All you uh, listeners and across the country and those other countries that listens, listen to me, I'm coming back. You'll hear what's going on. And uh, I know some people have said that uh, can't listen to me on the move like before. So, but we'll make it happen. But let's get down to business. Tonight, I have a good friend of mine, special guest, Representative Ken Ivory from the state of Utah. He's running for what district, Ken? District 39. District 39. And so, it's a tough race, as always. Uh, Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. Glad so, to be here. So, Ken, what the hell brings you to my neck of the wood? Well, man, you asked, brother. Yeah, oh, man, I know. I tried. You asked, I'm here. I, I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. So, let me, let's get to the nitty-gritty. I don't know why the heck I can't talk tonight. Oh, good Lord. It's almost I've been... It's that big shadow I cast, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sweating. <laughs> No, seriously. <laughs> so what? So how's the election going? You know, six days. Six days. Six days out. I've got, uh, you know, we've got a lot of support, a lot of people gearing up. And it's kind of interesting. We get all excited about government the last week before an election, and then we forget about it the other 51 weeks of the year. And uh, That's crazy. You know, that's when it really matters. But uh, really good people, really just great people out working and uh helping out and uh we got to keep the lights on in utah i got uh we got uh rocky mountain power came to legislative leadership about four weeks ago really leadership and governor and they said uh got a unilateral mandate from the epa it's called the good neighbor rule so you know it's gonna be good right right the good neighbor rule is that they want us to they're mandating that we shut off all coal-fired power by 2026 that's 70% of our power in Utah. And the EPA, you didn't vote for them. You can't check them. You can't kick them out. They're mandating that we shut off all coal-fired power by 2026. And uh, my opponent thinks that's a good idea. She thinks we ought to decarbonize and, and do away with all fossil fuel in Utah. Now, John, the good side about this, right? The upside? Uh -huh. No, there is. There's, a, there's an upside. We can actually run our economy in Utah off of uh, wind, solar, and battery for a total of 75 seconds. Wow. So we got that going for us. Wow. Yeah, we have, we have enough battery Technology. storage. Yeah, we've got enough battery storage capacity to keep the lights on for 75 seconds. And there's some of us that think that's probably not enough. And so we want to keep our keep our power going, keep the keep the uh, you know affordable, reliable, dispatchable, secure supply chain power in Utah going. And 
my opponent thinks that it's okay if we get rid of all of that. And we want to keep X-rated, indecent, offensive material out of schools. And my opponent thinks that, no, that, she actually said that saves lives. If we've got X-rated material in schools, that saves lives. So, you know, I beg to differ. And so it matters, right? Getting, getting out to vote, getting people out to vote in local elections, it, it, it matters. It matters to what's happening in your community. And so it's important that people not sit this out, even if you think you're, uh, your, your person is going to win by a landslide, mm -hmm. never take it for granted. Get out and vote. And it, and for me, Ken, it's, I've never understood why people don't get out and vote when when it's critical that you do vote. I mean, we were talking before the show about people that really don't get, know what the difference between the state powers and the federal powers. And I had mentioned to you, a lot of people think that federal trumps state. Yeah. Not all cases. Not in most cases, actually. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. You know, there's a, there's a provision in Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution says the uh, Constitution shall, and, and the powers to the national government shall be the supreme law of the land, but it only says in things pursuant to the powers it has under the Constitution. So in the Constitution, it was given very specific, Madison called it, few and defined powers, and they're only supreme in those few and defined things that were delegated to the federal government. Everything else is either at the state level or it's reserved to the people. We didn't delegate it to any government at all. And most of that we've just simply, we don't, it's not taught anymore. It's not taught that there are some powers we never delegated to government. And if we did delegate to government, did we delegate it to a government far away? Or did we keep it at a government close at hand that our mm -hmm. voice actually matters? And we don't, we don't teach that anymore. So all we go to is executive, legislative, judicial at the national level and you know, by the time you get there, 80% of the checks and balances are already gone. Can't the states do more, though? I mean, if you get, yeah. like, I mean, you've been a representative, and I know many of them, and I know many on the Senate side as well. And I've had this conversation. I said, let's create laws now with teeth in them. Um, like, for example, the book bills, you know, the book banning that what they call us book banners <laughs> because we don't want extra material in our schools. And, you know, we, I, you know, when I'm up at the Capitol, I'm speaking at, like, ethnic studies, for example. There's certain things that the school board powers that they actually have. And I say to myself, you know, if, we having the, if we're having these books put in our schools, and I were to take one of those books outside, and you and I talked about this before. Right. I took that same book outside and showed it to a minor, I would go to jail. Right. Why not just create laws that said, principal, you are the CEO of this country. Your head rolls when things happen down line. So it's your job to make sure things don't happen down line or your head would be on a swivel. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, John. So our legislative attorneys actually told me if I were to show on, you know, present on your show or in a legislative meeting or a school board meeting, if I were to show the types of images and the types of written content in books in school, I would be guilty of violating federal and state obscenity laws. If I, if I show that material without blurring out the images, without, without Xing out some of the letters, I'd go to jail for violating state and federal obscenity laws, but it's okay for the kids, they say. It's, it's not. I mean, our, our legal counsel says I can't show that material in a school board meeting, in a legislative meeting, and yet they're showing it to the kids. No, it's uh, it's out of control. But it's here's out of control. But here's something that, if you can't show it to the school boards, 
Why the hell do you think you have the right to show it to children? No, that's it. That's it. So you've got, there are some school officials. So we passed HB 374. Mm -hmm. And and what that bill, so HB 374, sensitive materials in schools. And and what the bill did, John, it, um, there was already a provision in law that dealt with what students might access at school, what they might look at on their iPads, what they might uh, bring to school in materials. And the bill said, no, there are certain materials you can't bring to school, access at school. And that had been on the books for, I don't know, seven, eight, ten years, whatever. We didn't think that the schools would provide this material to children. Now that we're finding out that they are, we simply applied that same standard, that same legal standard that we already applied to what children might bring to school, access at school, to the materials provided by the school. So we simply adopted that, and, and we passed the law this year, and we've got some districts, we've got some districts, some librarians, some school administration officials that say, we're not gonna follow state law. We think federal law trumps state law. Well, there's nothing in the Constitution, John, that delegates power over education to the national government. In fact, FDR, right, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he was asked, uh, he did the report on the 150th anniversary of the Constitution, 1937. 150th anniversary, he was the chairman of the committee for the, the sesquicentennial uh, celebration. And, and in the book, it says, where is there mention of education in the Constitution? He says, there is none. Education was left exclusively to the states. And yet today, we've got teachers and school officials say no federal law that they can't even recite you know they'll, they'll throw out a case name so oh, well the, I'll, I'll say what federal law and they say well the pico case and so then i say well which judge in the pico case are you referring to and they don't know because they haven't read the pico case of course mm-hmm. in the pico case there were three judges now three out of nine i went to public school but three out of nine is not a majority right right <laughs> but they say these three judges made some suggestions about what happens with certain books if they happen to get into a library. And they say there's some special about books that get into a library. But even those three judges say if it's pornographic or vulgar, obviously the school can take those books off the shelf. And yet we've got school officials and librarians and others saying we're relying on that case that they've not read. They don't even know what it means Mm -hmm. to say, no, we think federal law trumps the state law on keeping indecent and pornographic material out of the view and out of the hands of kids in school. So that's kind of where we are, John. We've got some constitutional ignorance that is deep and wide, and uh, we got to deal with that very, very directly. That brings, that brings me to my next question then. Why is it we have a department, federal Department of Education when it's not constitutionally, constitutionally designated in the Constitution? Yeah, Why do we have that? And how does it last yeah. for as long as it, it's been? Do you, do you know when the Department of Education was uh, established? Honestly, I do not know. 1979. Okay. 1979, Jimmy was Carter. Jimmy Carter, yep. Jimmy Carter established the Department of Education. Ronald Reagan made the statement, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. <laughs> so they put in the Department of Education, and, and Reagan said, yeah, we're going to get rid of this. And it was so ingrained already that he, he couldn't get it out. So, no, there's nothing in the Constitution that, that authorizes a, a federal Department of Education. It's just not there. It just simply was put in, and, and they've not been able to, to get it out and do anything about it. But there, there is no constitutional authority for the federal government to have a Department of Education. They simply take the Commerce Clause or something like that and try to bootstrap it in and say, oh, well, we're going to take this part of this power and, 
and extrapolate it and say, oh, therefore we can do this whole control over education. It's just simply not there. But that, that, that raises a, a, a really critical point. If we don't understand the roles and responsibilities of which government has responsibility and authority over what parts of government, federal government just keeps taking more and more and more. And that's why we see a nearly $32 trillion debt. That's why we see overspending of about $2 trillion a year. That's why we see more and more coming at the federal level. Because if we don't know where the lines on the field are, where do you stand? Where's the line of scrimmage? What's out of bounds? Where's, where's the first down? What's the goal? There are no lines on the field. We're running around trying to play a good governance game, and there are no lines on the field anywhere. This coming election, I know your state, but this is the federal election coming up in six days, and the state as well. Give me your thoughts on the upcoming election as a whole. Are we going to see a red wave, do you think? Are you a little suspect given what happened? We won't get into 2020, but given what happened in 2020, are you suspect a little bit? Um, Because I've always said, Ken, the Democrats, and I have to say this, they didn't run to be in office for just two years, nor did they do the things that, I mean, look, the way the things that, how do I say this? The demise of the country in the past two years, imagine what happened if they got two more years of this crap. Well, I mean, I'm going to start to answer your question by saying I think the biggest problems we have are not left versus right. Right. It's not Democrat, Republican. It's the centralization of power in Washington and the fact that we've centralized more and more power in Washington. We've now created a winner-take-all battle. Every two years, every four years, uh, ends justify the means Anything goes to try to get more and more power so that we can we can control the entire nation after our image from Washington. It's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, we're tearing the nation apart because every two years, especially every four years, they want to get control in Washington so they can direct what happens across the entire nation. That's not the way our, our, our country was. The way it was supposed to work, John, is is most of the power, few and defined in Washington, numerous and indefinite powers at the state level, and California could be California. Utah would be Utah over the vast majority of things that affect your life, your liberty, your property happens at the state level. So we're, we're, we're diverse and unique according to our culture, our religion, our history, our economy in the states. We band together for world peace, for a sound monetary system, interstate postal roads, things like that, everything else is at the state level. So you've got rich diversity, but then you've got unity on the things that matter facing out to the world. Right now, we turn it on its head. Right now, we're, we're, we're trying to cram everybody into this conformity every two years, every four years at the national level, and, and it, it's destroying what is that diversity in America. We, we've just completely run over that. And until we get back to that constitutional structure and those roles and responsibilities, I, you know, I, I don't know how much longer we can, we can withstand that, where we're just ripping each other apart, mm-hmm. 180 degrees different every two years, every four years. We get back to the point where do your thing in your state and, and we'll band together for world peace, and then you see what policies went out, right? Let California do their policies. If they work, great. If they don't, well, we'll see soon enough. But don't impose it on the whole nation. And we've got that completely upside down. And I want to say, you know, I was watching a video the other day and I realized California is one hell of a camp resort. Or they don't realize they have a homeless problem right now. <laughs> because yeah. that place, yeah. 
is bad. And, you know, I, my buddy of mine, <clears throat> he's a Democrat. Well, actually, no. He's, come, he's been red-pilling slowly. But he's been in Washington, in Washington State. And as a Democrat, he says, these people have lost their mind. He says, you can steal, no problem. You can go park in Albertson's parking lot with your RV, they won't make you move. And so, and the reason why I bring up that point is, how do we get back to what made us great? I better not say make America great again, because I'll get in trouble for that. Yeah. From Brian Schatz. But uh, how, how do we get back? What do you think? I mean, look at Utah, for example. Dude, we're not the state we used to be, Ken. We really, I mean, people say, I love Utah. No, you love what Utah used to represent. Because Utah is not the same as 25, 30 years when I came here. And so, you know, when I'm thinking about moving to the mountains, because the cities are looking like San Francisco now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got to reverse engineer what happened. Um, Can we? Yeah, I believe so. I, I but do does that include so. the people, though? Well, I it has to include the people, right? I mean, so so imagine, John, you've got you've got companies and whatnot. What happens if you don't show up to work? You get fired. Yeah, but you're the boss. You're the boss. Oh, if I don't show up, to you're get... the boss. You don't show up to work. What happens? Um, nobody knows because <laughs> I'm the boss. I can't do anything about it. Yeah, but if you're not there running, you're not telling people, hey, here's what your job is. You're not checking to see if they're doing their job. Company won't last long. Doesn't last long, right? In our system of government, unlike any other country in the history of the world before or since, we stood for the proposition that the people are sovereign. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, do we really think about what that means? Right? We got all we got all geeked out when uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away, and you know who's going to be the king and the monarchy <laughs> and how they transfer that. We're literally a nation of kings and queens. We we are the sovereign of this nation. That is well put, Ken. right? I mean, we're 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 the boss of the governing enterprise. If we don't show up to work, if we don't know who we've hired, we don't know what the system of our enterprise is. We don't know who we've hired. We don't know if they know their job. We haven't given them their job description, and we're not following up to see if they're doing their job. It's not going to last very long. It is not, and that's what we're seeing yeah. right now. And, and quite honestly, it doesn't take a lot, right? It's like Reagan said, there are no easy answers, but there are simple ones. There absolutely are simple ones. When we understand that federal government has few and defined powers, state has numerous and indefinite powers, and that's where your voice matters, right? At the state level, you come up to the Capitol, you can speak on policy, you can talk right to your representative, you can get them on the phone, you can show up to their house, you can affect policy at the state level. At the federal government, not going to happen, right? Oh. It's not going to happen. You can't even get your own Utah representatives on the phone because they represent, you know, three and a half million people or a million people or whatever. But so the more decisions, anytime Washington takes any decision-making power away from the state, you lose your voice. Mm-hmm. And so we started with few and defined powers here, numerous and indefinite powers here. They've taken more and more. So education, uh, land and natural resource, banking, uh, insurance, you know, all of these things, they keep taking to Washington and you lose more and more and more of your voice. Well, the way we get it back is we've got to go back and we start looking at simply what are the roles and responsibilities. So as we hire state leaders, we're the boss of the enterprise. We've got four direct reports that work for us. We have a governor, attorney general, state representative, state senator. Those are our direct employees. Have we given them the job description? 
your number one job is to keep this balance. Few and defined, numerous and indefinite, and it's that balance that secures my rights. Are you focusing on that? Because you're the only one that can keep the federal government in check. That's the way the system works. I can't go show up and do that, but you as a state can. Mm -hmm. Have you made that your number one job? And have we given that job description to the governor we hired, the attorney general we hired, the state senator, state representative? John, I'm telling people, if you would commit five minutes a week, five minutes a week, you could change the world. You, first, you have to know a little bit about the system, so you spend some time learning what, mm -hmm. what this compound republic is. And then the first week, you call the governor. Say, hey, call, email, text, write a handwritten note, carrier pigeon, smoke signals, I don't care. <laughs> but you get a hold of the governor say, governor, this thing's out of balance. And it's that balance that protects my rights. Federal government's into everything. They want to shut off the lights by 2026. What are you doing about that balance? Next week, you get a hold of the attorney general. That's your direct report as a sovereign. Next week, it's a state senator. Next week, it's a state representative. And then you start over again. I called you. I'm, you, know, you said you're going to work on this. Now help me understand what you're doing. And we get them focusing on this balance of government and putting the federal government back into its little constitutional box. Well, as they do that and to the extent that they do that, as the state reclaims the, the numerous and indefinite powers that are constitutionally with the state, now you get your voice back. But the more our state representatives that we hire, we don't train them, we don't give the job description, we don't follow up on them, and they allow Washington take, to take more and more things away. You lose more and more of your voice until you don't have any voice left anymore. You know, you mentioned contacting the governor, attorney general, your senator, and your state rep. For a lot of us, Ken, Ken, here's the problem. You know, we get people elected, and then they become elitist. You can't get in touch with them. Um, and then when you do get in touch with the office, you know, you never hear back from them. So that's, I, for a lot of people, that's a turnoff. And it sounds, I mean, it sounds easy, but it's, I mean, it's not really that easy because they don't, they become elitist. And, and trust me, I've met some, they're not like you. You know, I've seen you everywhere. Before the campaign, I've seen, I've seen you everywhere. But there's some guys that really don't come down to that level and say, hey, look, what can I do to help? Why are you not happy? What's not going right? I wish politicians would come out and say, I'm going to be in so-and-so's venue. Let's have a public talk. Let's have a town hall. Let's have a cottage meeting. Let us hear what's going on. Instead of us having to come out to the Capitol, and some people, I've heard this, you know, I've, I get tired of coming out and begging these people to do the right thing. So I wish somebody would take the initiative and come out and say, hey, look, let's start doing town halls. Let's go into our community. Let's let them know we are in touch, touch with our constituents. And you don't see that anymore. And so I think politics nowadays, even on the local level, I mean, I've come across a lot of arrogant asses. I have. I've come across a lot of, and I've called them out. I've sat in the Senate, and I've called guys, men, out and said, be men. Be men. So, you know, it gets frustrating. Yeah. You know, we think we let, elect good guys, and you, they get up to the state or federal, or even local, and they turn out to be straight a-holes. They forget about the other people until it's time to run again. Yeah. So we want to stop having the, I've always said this, Ken, and I've said this in, in front of many candidates at one venue. I said to them, 
I said to them, if you do your job, your next re-election will be the easiest re-election in your life. But if you screw us, then it may not be so easy. Yeah. And you have been out there. You have been pushing. I know what you've been doing for it, getting books out of the schools. You've been doing, as I say on my show, you've been doing the damn thing. Getting pornography out of schools. Exactly. Books stay. No, 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 no. Pornography. Yeah. You're right. Thanks. I yeah. stand corrected. Yeah. Getting pornography out of the schools. And I hope that's something you continue doing when you get reelected, because I have no doubt about it. You're going to get reelected. Because you're a good guy. And a lot of people in West Georgia... Don't, don't listen to you. what he said. Go out and vote. Make sure <laughs> oh, you yeah. don't take that that's, for granted. Make sure you get out and vote. That is not a suppression thought either. I'm just saying. I'm just let, recognizing let, the let good me things un, Let done. me unpack some of what you, what you ahead, said. Let me, I'll start with a story, right? So, you know, Utah is 65% controlled. The land in Utah is 65% controlled by the federal Fair government. government. Yep. When I first got elected, I asked a question, why is it like that? And it came up with so many stupid answers. It was, well, you, first, the, the founding fathers of Utah gave up the land, right? They come here barefoot in the snow with a handcart to get land nobody else wanted, and they gave it up. That's Makes the answer. No then they say, well, polygamy, you, you gave up the land. I say, well, what about Arizona? What about Montana? What about Alaska? They've got, you know, Nevada, 85% federally controlled land. Polygamy? No, John, we have the exact same statehood terms for the federal government to relinquish control over land that all the states east of the Rockies did. So I started looking at that, right? I start, mm -hmm. and, I, and I go out to start teaching people. Federal government has no authority, none, to control all of our land. We have the same terms of statehood. Why aren't we being treated the same, same right? So I'm teaching people about this, and I say, if you're concerned about this, fill out this little postcard and send it to the governor. Right, a couple weeks go by, and I get a phone call from uh, someone in the governor's office, and they say, "Ivory, what in the world are you doing?" I said, "What do you mean?" They said, "We're getting inundated by these postcards." I said, "Well, what does inundated mean to you?" We've got twelve of these postcards over the last two weeks. <laughs> we got twelve of these postcards over the last two weeks. That's inundated, John. Imagine if we had a hundred, or a thousand, or 10,000 mm -hmm. that understood that they're the boss. You know, what happens if you're the boss, you show up and an employee just thumbs their nose at you? I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to do anything you say. Do you say, oh, gosh, I guess I better give up? Oh, no. No, you say, no. all right, let me, let, me, let me teach you how this works. Let me teach you where, who signs your paycheck, yeah. right? And you go back and you, you, you maybe you give that employee an opportunity to learn how it works. But maybe. if we don't act like the boss... We don't get treated like the boss. If we act like serfs, we get treated like serfs. Now, that doesn't mean bludgeoning your employees. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. Right. That doesn't mean just flaming their eyebrows off, right? right? There's basic three Ps, personal, professional, persistent. Personal is just please and thank you, right? If your only key on the piano when you talk to your representatives is... I'm going to burn your eyebrows off and I'm going to tell you how mean and nasty I am and you're going to know it. Because we get frustrated, right? And that's kind of natural to feel that way. But it doesn't work, right? If that's your only tool, it doesn't work. Please and thank you. Be, 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 be personal, right? Mm -hmm. Second one, professional. When you have employees, do you try to obstruct them and get in their way and prevent them from doing their job as much as you can? No. Of course not, right? No. How can I help my employees do their job so that they're successful for me? How often do we think about that in the governor, the attorney general, the senator, the representative that we hire to protect our life, liberty, property, 
and keep this government in balance so the federal government's in its few and defined box? What are we doing to help them be successful for us? Right? Most people never think about that. I'll tell you a quick story. When I, when I first ran for, for office, I mean, it was any office, we, we, we thought we had to you know, win the battle in Washington and realize that, that that wasn't where the game is. You know, Washington is, is, is bipartisan running us over the cliff financially, mm-hmm. bipartisan centralizing power to Washington, bipartisan taking away our voice like we were just talking about. When we realize that we have to do this at the state level, this, this, this man and I, that we were delegates together, you know, working on things together, he says, look, you need to run. You're the one that can do this, but I'll support you. And he said, I'll do your financial reporting. I'll make sure you never miss a financial report. I'll do all the documentation. I'll make sure it's all done for you. Since the day I was elected, he's done all my financial reporting. John, it's a pain in the neck. It's time consuming. It's bothersome. They have questions. You got to get in all the detail stuff. He's done all of that for me since I've been elected. He's been helping me be successful at the job he hired me to do for him. How, how, how motivated do you think I am to respond to his text messages, Very. To, to his emails, to his phone calls, right? Very. So personal, professional, and then the third one's persistent. A lot of people think, well, I sent a text message, they didn't get back to me. I left a voicemail, they didn't get back to me. I sent an email, they didn't get back to me. All right, so you're going to give up? If you're the boss, you don't take no for an answer. Now, again, personal, professional, and persistent that's the key to political influence. So, so we have to remember we're the boss of the governing enterprise, the sovereign, the sovereign. It's not just the boss. We're the king and the queen of the nation, nation of kings and queens. And we're acting like peasants, peasants like serfs, right? Serfs. It's time to get noble. It's time to get regal. It's time to get act like the king, act like the royalty of the nation. In a good way, right? What if you, your children, if you knew they were going to be the king or the queen, what would you want them to know? To be a good king and queen? Anybody could be a bad king, right? What, what, to be good, what would you want them to know? Treat people the way you want to be treated, right? You know, treat people with respect and uh, look out for your fellow, fellow man and make sure you are still the king and queen of this sovereign nation and not that the politicians... They work for you, right? You do not work for them, right? You probably want them to know something about economics as well, right? Exactly. You probably want them to know law, diplomacy, maybe some languages. Certainly want to know how the government works. How does the kingdom operate? How does it work efficiently? You want to know some of that. We're the boss. Do we know how the system operates? Do we know what the few and defined powers are that were delegated to the national government so we can give the job description to the state people we hire? Do we know the numerous and indefinite powers that were reserved to the states? Do we know the Ninth Amendment that says all other things that the people never delegated stay with the people? Do we know that balance and do we know the powers of the state to keep the federal government in the few and defined box so that we can teach the people we hire to do that? I had some, I had some people ask me at a town hall, a cottage meeting recently, so, well, I don't know any of that. How do I, how do, I do? I don't know everything about government. Do I have to study all of that? before I can start acting like the boss. I don't know, have you ever built a house before? Oh yeah, so, I had so, one, Bill. Had one. Yeah, right, right. So did you know everything about plumbing and electrical and HVAC and carpet and tile and cabinetry and... Negative. Right? But, but you know how to find the people that do. Right. And you know what you want the house to look like at the end of the day. So here's my house. I want my house to look like this. 
right? That was the, the, the concept of the House was the Declaration of Independence. The blueprints of the Constitution, the Declaration, this is what we want. This is what we want it to look like. All men are created equal, protect my life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, my property, protect these things, don't get into all this tyrannous stuff, right? You exist, governments exist to secure these rights. That's what the House looks like. And then the blueprint, this is how we're going to get there. And the blueprint in the Constitution is few and defined things are delegated to the federal government. Tenth Amendment, we're going to clear this up just in case you didn't recognize when we drafted the document, we're going to clear it up. Tenth Amendment says all things not delegated to the federal government. Back to the states. Reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. So we got to know what that looks like. We don't have to know all the details. But then when we hire a governor, we hire an attorney general, we hire a state representative or, or a senator, Here's what the house looks like. Let me, let me just walk you through. This is what the house looks like. Here's the blueprints. I need you to go figure out how to do that. I'm going to check up on you. But this is what I want at the end of the day. I want life, liberty, property protected. I want government limited. I want to make sure that you're, you're doing the job to secure my rights. That's your number one job. And, and I'm going to follow up on that. And I'm going to be personal. I'm going to be professional. I'm going to be persistent. But I'm not going to let you thumb your nose at me. I'm not going to let you ignore me. I'm not going to let you go off and on wild goose chases on things that are not your authority. I'm not going to let you allow the federal government to keep doing things that they're not supposed to be getting into. So I'm going to check up on you. And if you're doing your job, man, I'm going to do my best to make sure that I help you be successful in your job. But if you do start thumbing your nose at me and you don't return the phone calls and you're not doing your job then I'm going to go get 10 or 20 or 30 others, and we're going to hire somebody that will do that job. And so, and all of that, I completely agree with you. The problem is in Utah, at least, is getting people activated to do this stuff. But for, for right. some reason, they don't like, they don't get activated in the masses in this state. I don't, I'm, I'm look, I know what part of the reason is. I think we all know it based, you know, people don't want to be, involved in things that might make them look a certain way but at some point in time you got to push that to the side and say okay look enough is enough it's time for us to get activated march to the capitol not literally but and say sometimes hey, look, literally right but yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. literally you're right and depends say, on hey, the look. tool that you need right you use the right tool at the right time exactly and, you know and and say hey look we want our power back but in order to do that they can start by voting for vetted candidates. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of candidates nowadays who are saying they're Republicans when they're not because they can't get a lot of, uh, get a big foothold in the state if you got a D in front of your name. Most conservatives or Republicans in the states are not going to vote for a Democrat just because it's just not the way we do things here. Mm -hmm. Unless you live in Salt Lake City, of course. Right. But uh, so how do we get people activated? I mean, you're out there campaigning. What does it look like to you from your perspective when you're doing town halls or you're doing cottage meetings or you're speaking at certain events? Yeah. Yeah, I had a cottage meeting the other night. We had three people show up. That's what I'm talking about. Send flyers far and wide, write email, text message. I, I, I get some people that, that, that just tell me off because I sent them a text message, remind them about, hey, you know, uh, EPA wants to shut off your lights by 2026. Uh, if you come out, we can talk about that. And, and, you know, they're all stripes of folks, right? You got people across the spectrum. I think part of it, John, is we, we don't know how the system works. 
We don't know anymore what that house is supposed to look like at the end of the day, really. We certainly don't know the blueprint of how we get there, right? We don't know the balance of powers, that sort of thing. And so we think it's too big and we think it all has to be done in Washington. We need a white knight to show up on a horse and, and, and save everything. And we need a king to make it. That's not how it works. But if we would commit five minutes a week, we get our hands dirty for five minutes a week. We could change everything. But but because we don't understand the system, we don't engage. It, it really can be very, very simple. But but I think we, we make it harder than it is. And as the federal government has taken more and more power, they're invested in keeping it hard and keeping that power going to Washington under both parties, frankly. Mm-hmm. The Uniparty? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, so so <laughs> the, the national debt, did it get any better under Republicans and uh, under Democrats? And that's what people don't right. understand. It's a lot of things that have been done to us. There are Republicans participating yeah. in the vote process. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say, you know, the Democrats are doing this. And I have to often correct them. So, no, it's not just the Democrats. At times, there are Republicans playing the same game because they have the same self-interest. So not every Republican is conservative. Right. And, and, and quite frankly, they're in a broken system. So many of them are trying to do the best they can in a broken system, and that's the problem. So, John, let's, let's suppose you got a bicycle. you got a front tire, back tire. Mm-hmm. Your front tire is so bloated, it's about to explode. Mm-hmm. Back tire is so flat, it's about to chew the rubber off the rim. Mm-hmm. So the answer to that problem is to ride the bike harder, right? You just pedal harder. Okay. Right? Right. Maybe, maybe it's you get Lance Armstrong all hopped up on steroids to ride the bike, right? Right. Maybe it's to yank the handlebars harder to the left or harder to the right. That'll fix the problem, right? Right. You got to fix the tire pressure, right? You got to fix the balance. And, and all we're doing is should Trump or Biden ride the bike? Should they yank the handlebars harder to the left or harder to the right? Like neither. you got to fix the balance. Few and defined here, numerous and indefinite here. I want my voice back the closest to me. I only want few things far away where it's less transparent, less accountable. Everything else, I want that decision as close to me as possible so that my voice matters. And until we get that balance right and we focus on the structure, we focus on the, on the vehicle, Instead of who's riding, who's driving the vehicle, or which direction they're going around the track, mm-hmm. left or right, mm-hmm. we're just going to keep making it worse, right? Now we have about, about six, five or six minutes left. I want to talk about something. You're you're running for office in the West in District Thirty Nine. Yeah, yeah, West Jordan mostly. West, West Jordan, a little bit of Sandy, a little bit of South Jordan, a little bit of Murray Midvale. So, what makes you an asset to West Jordan? I get things done. Tell I get, it like it is, I, brother. I, I get things done for the people that I work for. You can go on my website, voteivory.com, and you can see right on the website, you can see all the stories of people that have come to me and said, hey, Ken, this is not right. I think there's something wrong here. Gary Welch came to me. Gary said, uh, I lost everything in 2008. Lost my business, had to file bankruptcy. And uh, back then, you could only exempt a firearm worth $250. I don't know if you have a $250 gun. I don't. What's a gun? Yeah, right? (laughs) Two hundred and fifty dollars. That was it. So he lost his. He lost all guns, all ammunition. So he came to me. I said, Gary, I think we can do something about that. We passed a bill. Now it's the best exemption law in the entire nation. 
If you find a financial reversal, you get a judgment against you, somebody comes after to collect on you, you can now exempt up to three firearms and a thousand rounds of ammunition each without regard to value. Really? You're never going to lose the ability to protect your family. Oh, I didn't give you the rest of the story, right? So he lost all his firearms, and his daughter had a protective order against some guy that was really bad news, dangerous. She's living with him now. He comes starting to to beat the door down, and he lost all his ability to protect his home and his family. So we did that, right? Things like that. I had, I had Heather and Taylor Brady came to me, and they love horses, right? Mm-hmm. And there had been this, this kind of rodeo practice that came up from Mexico where they get horses running at a dead run, and then they rope out their front legs and just take them down at a full run. It just maims the horses. I mean, terrible, right? Just, mm-hmm. So we did a bill that, that deals with, uh, with horse tripping. They call it horse tripping. And so that's Heather and Taylor's bill. Work with them, walk right through the system eliminated the statute of limitations for sexual abuse of children. I had all kinds of people come to me that they'd been sexually abused as a child. And, and, and an abuser tells their child victim, most of the time, 85, 90% of the time, the abuser is, is known to the child. Mm-hmm. And they tell the child, it's bad to tell. It's dangerous to tell. I'll hurt you if you tell. I'll hurt your family if you tell. They develop a bond. Something bad will happen to me if you tell. So the children don't tell. They turn 18 and they still don't tell. And it's just changed their whole mindset, their whole development. So on average, children don't come forward on those claims until age 42. Really? And yet the law was you had to tell within one year of turning 18. Then it was changed to four years from turning 18. And what we know scientifically now is they can't even process and deal with that until they're 42. So we were basically telling sexually abused children, You've got no claim. And we were telling the abusers, you get a free pass. Eliminate statute. So things like that. You can see that on the website when people come to me and they say, this isn't right. Like, great, let's go see what we can do about that. And at the state level, when we make the decisions at the state level, your voice matters. When Washington takes that away, you got no voice anymore. You just said something about firearms a minute ago. Let me get your thoughts on this. And we may have to run a little bit long on this question. Because I've gotten this question quite a bit, and I've actually spoke to legislators and federal legislators as well about this issue. Felons, nonviolent felons losing their gun rights. Because it goes back to what you had just stated earlier. If you're a kid, 15, I mean, 18, 19, 20, whatever, you have a white collar crime or whatever the crime may be, no drugs, no violence. I mean, a DUI, three DUIs is a felon in the state of Utah. That's if it's not, you know, bartered down to a class A. But we know how it goes. I spoke to legislators before about this, and they all agree. They all agreed, but one was a little bit hesitant, and I won't mention his name. His comment was, I can see so-and-so, I don't want to say if he's a senator or rep. He just said, so-and-so-and-so says, is now, he said, I can see it in the news. So-and-so-and-so represented won't felons get gun rights back. But everybody else is on the board, even a federal prosecutor I spoke to. He actually said, John, my job is to put you in prison. I don't think we should ever take your gun rights away because you can't protect your family. Because mm-hmm. you hinder your family, something you've done at an early age in your life, you can no longer protect your family. And you could be the best pill over your community. But if somebody kicks your door, you got to chase them with a fork. Right, right. So what are your thoughts on felons getting their guns right back, providing there are no violence, no drug with guns, the things, and, the, and no predatorial activity. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think uh, I think there's a path to get to something like that. So so when you think of I mean, constitutional in Utah, Article one, Section six of the Utah Constitution Mm -hmm. is we stand in Utah. The people this is what the people did in constituting their government, that the right to keep and bear arms is for personal security, for defense of self, family, others, property or the state. That's that's. Our Second Amendment, right? Second Amendment says, right, to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But in Utah, we amplified that and said, you can keep guns for personal security, just what you're talking about, to defend yourself, your family, others, property, or the state, right? We didn't mess around. We didn't say, you know, the right to keep guns is for duck hunting. Mm-hmm. We said, right, no, right. this is to defend your family, protect your property, even protect the state if necessary. That's in the Utah Constitution. So to your point, do you lose your constitutional right to personal security to protect your family? Um, you know, I think there were, the, the challenge that you have in things like that is you get all these shades of gray, right? On one end of the spectrum, you got pillar of the community. You've got, you know, it was some uh, hunting without a license when they were, 19, mm-hmm. you know, felony like if in fact, in fact, there's a book out, you should look this up. It's called Three Felonies a Day. I've heard, I've right? Yep. The average person, now you're way above average. <laughs> yeah. The the average person commits three federal felonies a day. Because there are so many things on the books in the regulations that pretty much anybody can be written up for for three felonies a day, right? I mean, there are all kinds of things out there. So, no, it makes a good point. So the thing you'd you'd want to do in that is how do we have a vetting process? How do you you have some right to make sure you, you, you haven't sent somebody off that's dangerous and you know, send them out with a gun, but mm-hmm. no, I think there's a, I think there's a great argument for that. I mean, because here's the thing: if you if you weren't if you're a fellow with the no violent history, well, owning a gun is n- is not going to make you any more violent. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, we know the originality of the gun rights bills where it started from. Yeah. We know how it got started. We got to figure out how to reverse some of that. Now, like I said, a lot of representatives and senators are on board. The, they now, asked now, me to open a bill file. Now, the one question that comes up often in, mm-hmm. in a bill, is this, is this a, uh, a solution in search of a problem? Right? And so that's a question that no. comes up. I mean, how many people are we talking about and, and, and who's it being affected? And so you want to know. So, so let's just take this as an example. How, mm-hmm. would you, how would you work something like this through the process? Okay, so first you contact your representative, your senator. Here's my idea. What do you think? They open a bill file. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't even open a bill file yet. They, they kind of roundtable it, talk to others, st- start to look at what the parameters of it might be. Then if they work through that, then they open a bill file. You start getting legal research on it, and then you start looking through you know, what happens in the file. Then you start looking at getting support with others. And, and, but, but one of the biggest things is how do you tell the story? Right? How do you tell the story? Who's the, who's the father, the pillar of the community that uh, can't protect his family? And then you got to balance that with who's the guy that really shouldn't get. And, and, I, and I get that side of the story, but this is what I told a representative. She said to me, John, but there's an expungement process. I said, it's not about the expungement process. I just said, I know everybody. I told Mike Lee this, and Mike agrees with me. I called him, I said, I publicly said it, because yeah. he said it in front of a group of people. But here's the problem. It was a Second Amendment right. Second Amendment right. A right that shall not be fringed upon. So, for example, if your state goes to war, 
do you are you allowed to fight for your state? Yeah. Are you allowed to fight for your state? Yeah. You've taken rights from a man for something he did years ago, and he can't fight for his family. He can't protect his property. He can't fight for his own state. And and we have a prison who prison that house a lot of felons who are not who are nonviolent, but yet they don't get that right. Be a great debate. They be, don't get be, that right. Be, be and a I've great been, debate. And I, I'm and like yeah. you know like I said I know I know why it's a sticky subject. Yeah. But you know what? It's the Constitution. Yeah. It shouldn't have been amended. It should not have been a right that infringed upon because man now take the 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 footsteps of God. But so okay, so now let's let's wind that back again. Okay. When that decision is at the state level, you can have this conversation. But at the feds, it's a different story. Federal level, you got you got you got no voice. And right? you, and especially with this administration, right. it won't work. No, no, you got no voice. But there's 13 other states yeah. right now that have rights that automatically felons go get their guns right back in those. God, is that right? 13 states. Is that right? 13 states. Yeah, yeah. We've already talked about this because I've called some of the states and spoke with the Attorney General in some of those states yeah. myself. There's 13 states that you, you can get your gun rights back. Yeah. And I don't mean muzzleloader either. Right. But no. there is a federal issue. Yeah, but that procedurally, right, that, that's what I love about self-government. So you bring up an issue and say, something ought to be done about this. I don't think this is right. The more we keep that numerous and indefinite decision making where should that decision be made if that decision is made in washington forget about it you you don't even have a conversation right but when the decisions are made closest to us now you got a voice now you start you start leveraging your voice right you start building the 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 people around the idea you get the data you start working things through the process john there's nothing i love more Nothing I love more than, than seeing my neighbors, right? They're constituents, but they're my neighbors. And they come to me and they say, Ken, this isn't right. What can we do about that? Let's start working through the process. You're going to own this. You're going to carry the bill. I'm going to help you. I'll just be the one that sings and dances out front. Mm -hmm. But I need you to work this bill. And, and we walk them right through the process. And they help on the research. And they help put the files together. They help bring some of the groups and organizations together. We walk right through the House committee. We get it on the House floor. We get it to the Senate committee. Get it on the Senate floor. Work it through the governor. And it, it, at the end of the day, when you see, you see people that, that that bill, their name is on that bill. And they've now not just learned about government, they've done it. That, that's what's magical about our process. I have a bill that I got through last year that was my first bill I ever done. They had been working on it for four years. How'd you feel when it was done? Uh, it was good. Um, it, was, it was really good, but it's a wildlife bill, and we're having a problem with the wildlife right now. So, so see, you, Moore you, and I are going to... You know, you, you own that, right? You, you changed the law in this day. I had a... Had a uh, a friend, Gary, he came to me, he said, he said, how come, how come as a business, when somebody bounces a check to me, I can only charge them $15 for bouncing the check to me, but the bank charges me 30. So that's a great question. Let's go see. And Gary, we walk right through the system. And now in Utah, you could charge the same amount that the bank charges you to the person that bounced a check to you. Simple little thing, right? But to him, it was a big deal. And it wasn't right. You can do that, right? You engage in your government. You engage in self-government. 
I, I love that, John. I love that about our system. I do too. When you act like the boss, you get treated like the boss. This is not a spectator sport in America. To be the sovereign, to be the the boss of our governing enterprise, it's not a spectator sport, but when you engage, you can make that happen. VoteIvory.com, you can see all the stuff there. In fact, you can actually download a copy of my book, Where's the Line? How States Protect the Constitution. Where's the line? That's what we've been talking about, right? Where's right. the line? Where do we make that decision? Do we make it far away? Do we make it close to home? Uh, VoteIvory.com, they can go on there, download that, and, and uh, please get involved, send out information, put up a Facebook post or something, tell them uh, you heard what we talked about. in your yard. Right. Whatever it takes to yep. get the message out, because sometimes, you know, you can help and it won't cost you a dime. Yep. Tell a friend or bring a friend. Yeah. Going forward, we're going to work on this balance, right? It's up to the states. We're going to restore that balance of government so that uh, we're making more of the decisions right here in Utah and not let Washington take our voice away. And so I need your help. I need all your listeners help. And uh, let's get them out. Let's get out and let's get going on this and stay tuned. There's going to be a lot more come November 9th. We'll, we'll be back and we'll talk about a lot more on how we get people out. And we'll mm-hmm. teach them five minutes a week. You give us five minutes a week, we'll restore the balance of government. We're going to have that conversation. Ken, good having you here. My pleasure, man. Good to have Always you. Always great. Family, we close another show, another fantastic show on the Modern Conservative Podcast. I'll be on Friday at 630 with Jamie Renda from Pathford, Utah. And she is the co-founder with myself of Cafe Utah. You guys have a great rest of your week. I'll see you on Friday. Love you all.